Good morning. For those of you I don't know, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, man, this morning is a sentimental morning uh, for so many of us. I know it is for me. It's the end of eras. It's the beginning of new eras. We just, uh, you know, got to wave Libby and Gabe Reed um, goodbye. And by the way, we're excited because it begins a new era in which Matt Duell, as many of you are aware, is going to be taking on uh, some oversight roles, not only over our children's ministry, but over our student ministries as well. And we're going to be talking more about that in the coming, um, in the coming weeks, but it's still so hard to say um, bye to the Reeds as we launch them off into the next uh, frontier of their lives. And speaking of next frontiers, uh, seven days from this very day, we will be worshiping in our new home at the Warsaw Performing Arts Center. And that is an exciting, an exciting thing. And listen, if you've been part of Mission Point for a while, feel free to feel sentimental because that also means that our era, our season here at Lakeland Christian Academy is coming to an end. And God has been so good to us in this place. Uh, For some of us, this is where our kids got baptized. Uh, So there's meaning to it for us. For for some of you, it's in the season here that you became serious about your relationship with God. And that's that's really, really um, meaningful. Uh, We we got to send some kids to school in Zambia because of ministry that launched right here in this place. And some of it here in this very room. So this is a place that holds some profound memories. For us. Some of you said yes to foster care and to adoption thanks to ways you're equipped in this very building. It's a meaningful place. And uh, some of you who've been here for a while, some of your veterans will remember when we used to meet facing this way. Do you guys remember this? Um, that is some throwback Mission Point stuff. So uh, all that to say the Lord has been so good to us. And uh, we're excited about what... Um, is ahead of us. But we want to just take a quick moment to pause and can we just acknowledge the fact that this movement has never been about a place. It has always been about the person of Jesus Christ. In which case, it doesn't matter whether it's Lakeland Christian Academy or the Warsaw Performing Arts Center. It doesn't matter whether it's a barn or a basement or a backyard. It's always been about the person of Jesus Christ. And it will continue to be about the person of Jesus Christ. So we are excited about this next frontier. But mostly we're excited about our front runner, Jesus Christ. Because listen, if we become more excited uh, about bricks and glass than we are about blood and grace, Grace, the very heart of this church is threatened. So we are thrilled, but it's God and his son, Jesus Christ, we're most thrilled about. And he's moving us and we're, we're glad to follow him and see what he has in store for us next. Amen. But this morning, we want to conclude our series, a super mega epic summer series, a series in which we as a church want to dare to boldly ask God to do great things and to boldly say yes to the things God asks us to do. Um, And this morning, we get to wrap our series, even as we wrap the season here at Lakeland Christian Academy. But before we do that, can I just... 
take a moment uh, for us to praise God and praise his dude, Mike Taylor, uh, for the way he taught last week and served us so well. Um, Man, compassion and hospitality, starting with just one. Uh, Mike begged me to draw attention to him, and so I... (laughs) He'll give me a talking to afterwards, I'm sure of it. But so thankful for you, brother, and your willingness to serve the church um, the way you did. Uh, This morning, we want to conclude by looking at a story tucked away in the 17th chapter of uh, the book of Luke, the Gospel of uh, Luke. If you don't have a hard copy of the Scriptures, no worries. Just slip up your hand and, man, Josh will be glad to get a copy to you. Um, If you don't own a copy, please, please, please feel free to keep this one as our gift to you. Um, Now, let me just say this, by the way, as a heads up, and I alluded to this. At the end of the service, we want to take uh, some time when the worship team or before the worship team comes back to just open up the floor to give a number of you who love Jesus um, the opportunity to publicly share something you're thankful for, the ways God has been moving, maybe through this series or maybe through the recent season, and you just want to publicly thank him. And here's what I hope we'll see by the end of the service. Whether you want to or not, he deserves to be publicly thanked for the ways that is moving in your world. And so we wanted to carve out some time towards the end of the service. And listen, this isn't some Mike Taylor trick, you know, to try and freak you out so you experience what compassion is like. This is real ushers with real microphones um, coming into the aisles to give you opportunities to share real stories of the way the Lord has been moving. And I just want to give you a heads up for you introverts so you have some time to process and breathe and hyperventilate. And for you extroverts so you can start to abbreviate your little speech. <laughs> this room is not big enough for more than one long-winded person. But... Um, So just to give you a heads up on that, but Luke chapter 17, we're going to start reading at verse 11. We're going to meet a number of lepers um, who Jesus heals. And in this story, what we're going to find is a summary of the series we've been in. We are going to be reminded of some of the things that God has been calling us to as a church. So if you haven't been here for the series, this is going to help you catch up. If you've been here for the series, this is going to help remind and reinforce some of the things the Lord is calling us to. But it will also help us land the series where I believe the Lord would want us to leave things. Luke chapter 17. And Luke sets up the story um, uh, by telling us this in the 17th chapter. He says, now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So, uh, just some setup, some context. Jesus is on the way to do some really important things and and see some really important people because Jesus is is really, really important. I'm a geek, so I tend to be fascinated by Luke's mini obsession with the route of choice that Jesus took. It says, Jesus traveled between Galilee and Samaria. Now, if you know anything about the history in that particular region, then you know that the Jews in Galilee and the Samaritans in Samaria Samaria hated each other. They were sworn enemies. They wanted nothing to do with each other unless it had something to do with helping see the other race extinguished. There was, there was tension and bad blood between these two. 
racial groups. And I love that Luke says Jesus traveled between these two enemy groups. He traveled between these two extreme groups. So somewhere between the two, there was Jesus. Somewhere between, I'm just saying, the Samaritan lives matter and the Galilean lives matter. Hashtags, there was Jesus. And you might be tempted to plead, Jesus, would you pick a side? And he won't pick a side. No, I'm good right here in between. Because, and I I love the hints of the gospel here, because Jesus came to this earth to be stretched. To reach and to die. So that through his death and in his body, he might bring together those who were previously enemy so that he would bring about peace and embrace in himself. I love the hints of the gospel Luke leaves with us even as Jesus is heading towards the cross in Jerusalem. Now listen, I'm not implying anything. I'm just strongly suggesting that the gospel may be our only Now, again, this has nothing to do with the real point of this story, but I have the microphone and I have a heavy heart on account of what's happening in our world. And this was a great reminder of where hope lies. No, it's our side. No, it's our side. No, it's our extreme. No, it's our extreme. And Jesus is like, I came to bring them all together. I love them all. A powerful picture. But anyway, verse 2 says, as he, Jesus, was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Okay, a little more set up to give some context. Uh, Leprosy was a terrible disease, particularly in that time um, and in that area. It was a disease that affected the nerve endings beneath the surface of the skin. It would often cause sores uh, to break out and cover um, the body. Um, More than that, it would often lead to people having amputated extremities because infection would eventually result because they would lose feeling and they wouldn't know that they had an injury that was getting worse and getting infected and eventually uh, they would experience amputation. And um, so lepers wouldn't only be covered with sores, uh, they would often be amputees, missing hands and, and missing feet and missing noses, really unsightly and disfigured. Um, More than that, they were considered highly, highly contagious. If you come anywhere near them, let alone touch one, you get their yucky leprosy on you. And so as a result, they were not to be touched and you weren't to come near them. On top of that, it was believed that if you had leprosy, it was because you had done something really dark and deplorable and God hated you. And an evidence of his hate for you is that he cursed you with this disease of leprosy. So if you were were diagnosed with leprosy, it was the priest's responsibility to protect the people and to condemn you spiritually and socially by exiling you, removing you from the context of community and forcing you to live outside of the city gates. And so lepers in that context were always people who had been ripped away from their families. There were often people who had been removed from friendships and they had been forced to live outside the city gates. And so what would often happen is that, you know, and it's 
you're going to see this in this story. Um, what would often happen is this rejected and unwanted group of lepers would often band together to find some sense of solace and camaraderie in the stories of dejection and despair. So we meet 10 of them who've banded together, this group of unwanted, unsightly exiles who are about to meet Jesus. And in meeting him, they're about to remind us of some of the things that God has been calling us to as a church. So let me read the rest of this narrative, this story, and then we'll come back and be reminded of some of the things God has called us to over these weeks and into the future. Look at verse 12 again. It says, as he, Jesus, was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. Um, Of course they did. They were legally prohibited from coming anywhere near him. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he, Jesus, saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan, hashtag. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed because I'm really good at what I do. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, hey, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Again, this story serves as such a great recap of our series. It surfaces some of the things the Lord has been calling us to practice as a church who longs to see him do big things. And here are a number of things that this story uh, reminds us of. First, it reminds us that God wants us to ask the impossible. God wants us to ask the impossible. And we saw this in week one of our series. And it's not that the little brother of Jesus, James, is trying to mock us, but he's definitely trying to egg us on. You want things. You want big things. You long to see big things. But in so many cases, you don't have. And the reason you don't have is because you don't dare to ask God to do those things. And I love the way these lepers embody this principle because it would appear that this gang of desperate outcasts here uh, that Jesus might be inching towards their particular region. And so what they do is they get together behind a trash pile outside the city gates and they begin to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and they begin to practice and practice and they begin to go over and over and over their little gig until they have it down pat. And so when Jesus gets near them, They count to three, and they let out this carefully choreographed chorus. Jesus, master, take pity, and you all know about that word, compassion. Take pity on us. Standing at a distance, daring not to come anywhere near him, they yell from a distance, Jesus, big boss, literally. Would you have mercy on us? Now, make no mistake about the fact that this group of ten desperate men are begging Jesus to heal them of their 
leprosy. They're crying out to him to to reverse the curse of their social death sentence and to return them to their families, to their loved ones. Which we all know is ridiculous. That's just crazy. Because smart people know Leprosy is a one-way ticket. There's no coming back from it. No one can undo the effects of leprosy. It's over once you've been diagnosed with leprosy. I'm sorry, your family is never coming back. You are never going to experience your career again. Your health is always going to be a hot mess. You will never be included in the dinner party again. It is over for you. Your dignity is stripped. Your hope is dead. There's no cure for leprosy. But they dare to ask him to do the impossible. And aren't you glad, I know I am, that God's favorite kinds of requests are the impossible kinds of requests. Because when he comes through, when he touches down, when he shows up, there is nobody other than him who can take credit for what he ends up doing. And for those of you who've been with us through this series, you know that that's exactly what we felt God inviting us to do. In fact, in week one, we encouraged all of you to start a list and specifically a list of something or a list of things that you desperately desire that only God can do. In other words, start a list of the impossible things and dare to ask God for them. Dare to ask him to restore your exiled marriage. That's so dumb. Nobody comes back from that kind of marital trauma. That's impossible. To dare to ask God to to reverse the diagnosis that has left you unsightly. And it's left your life a, a mess. He wants us to make the kinds of requests that these lepers dared to make. To lift the cloud of depression or to unshackle you from the chains of addiction that have you living outside the confines of community. To ask him to resuscitate dead dreams. To return feeling to your soul that you've just, you've lost, you have no longer. This is such a powerful reminder, church, that God wants us to ask him super mega epic things, impossible things. He loves those kinds of requests. And I know we shared um, with with you that for us there are a number of things on our list. I mean, one of them is a, a marriage in our extended family that seems beyond repair. And we've been asking, not that God would just restored, but that he would take it to heights that it has never been before. You know, we've been praying for our kids that God would make out of our kids spiritual warriors. Um, And listen, as a parent, we may not like to realize this or acknowledge this, but the truth is we cannot make our kids spiritual warriors. That is something only God can do. It's impossible. And so we've put that on our list along with a number of other things. James says, you have not because you ask not. What is the impossible thing God has been calling you to do? What's on your list? And have you continued to ask God to do 
that thing. And by the way, maybe you're hearing this for the first time because you haven't been a part of this series, and it's not too late. Um, There's no expiration date on asking God the impossible. You can start your list right now and do what these guys did and lean into him, asking him to move. Uh, When Jesus hears this pathetic plea from this group of 10, he stops. I mean, Jesus is really important and he's on his way to do some really important things, but Luke wants us to know that he stops. Jesus is tired. He's been walking for miles and miles and miles. He's just trying to go into this village to get a little R&R. He's just trying to go catch some Pokemon, and he, but he stops. Uh, that should fire up your faith, because I don't know what thing you think Jesus is too busy doing that he cannot hear you as you cry out for that impossible thing. Luke reminds us, whenever we cry out to him and ask him the impossible, he stops. Whatever it is you might have been praying for, don't quit because he stops every time to bend his ear towards your request. Jesus stopped. And if you've been part of our summer, you know, choreographed chorus of prayer, you can have every assurance that whenever you've cried out and asked him for that impossible thing, he has stopped. But what Jesus does next in this story would shock us if Matt Dool hadn't taught us this truth in the third week of our series. So they ask Jesus to do the impossible. And in response, Jesus calls them to do the nonsensical. Jesus responds to these desperate lepers, but his answer is not what they were probably hoping for because sometimes God's response to our super mega epic request is to give us a super mega epic requirement, which is what he does with them. Look at what he tells them in verse 14. It says, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And they went. And as they went, they were cleansed. Go show yourself to the priest. Jesus could not have asked him to do anything more nonsensical. He couldn't have asked him to do anything more risky, anything scarier, anything crazier, anything more intimidating and messy than what he asks them to do. Go and show yourself to the priest. Whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. Okay, maybe you don't understand. The priest is the very guy who sentenced us to this social exile. And on top of that, the priest is the guy who has the power to sentence us to death if we should break this code and go near him with leprosy. Plus, if people see us coming into the city, we're prohibited from doing that. They're going to stone us to death. Jesus, this is nonsensical. Maybe you don't understand the way sensible things work down here on earth. But here's the ideal scenario. If you heal us of leprosy, then we'll go. But don't ask us to do it the other way around. Because last we checked, we still have leprosy. It makes no sense. So why don't you show up, Jesus, and then we'll do what you say. If you provide the job, then we'll begin to be generous. Don't ask us to do the nonsensical before you do the impossible. 
If you make her sorry, then I'll, I'll, I'll forgive. If they seem open, then Jesus, then we'll share the gospel. If you heal me, then I'll start to serve. If you part the Jordan, then we'll step in. Meet our request and then we'll meet your requirement. And that's often the posture we take with Jesus. I want what he has, but I just don't want to do what he says. So Jesus, if you don't mind saying yes to our super mega epic, you know, request, then we'll say yes to your super mega epic requirement. But in this series, we've seen what shows up in this story, that sometimes God wants us to do the nonsensical before he does the impossible. Now, please hear me. He doesn't do that as some kind of a payment Or, you know, a deposit on the miracle he's about to perform. That's not why he does it. He does it as a proof of our faith in him. Because here's the reality. If I believe God can heal me of leprosy, then I've got to believe that God can take care of the priest. If I believe that he can provide this job for me, then I've got to believe that he will be good to his word and provide as I continue to lean in. To generosity. The call to the nonsensical is often God's way of saying, show me that you trust me. Because listen, faith without obedience is just crossing fingers and hoping it works out. And Jesus knows that. And so he invites them to obey in this crazy and risky way. And I love the way I've seen this at work in our church. Some of the heroes in, in my mind are, are single parents in our church wh- whose lives have not been fixed and mended in every way they long to see life fixed and mended. And yet the way in which they give of themselves to serve our people is nonsensical. And it makes me long to see God show up and do whatever impossible things they are asking him to do. We got a note from somebody uh, a number of weeks ago. It's nonsensical. They had been saving up to take kids on a vacation. That's really cool. And a car in the event that this one eventually just falls apart. And felt called by the Lord to be generous and give that money away. That's crazy. Sent us a note, uh, you know, uh, the next week saying, I haven't seen God completely do the impossible thing I've been asking him to do. But I've definitely seen him begin to show hints that the choice to obey him was the right choice. And then this morning I got another note anonymously from this person saying, I can say to my kids with every confidence, God has provided and God will continue to provide. It's powerful as he calls us to do the nonsensical. Go and see the priest. I don't know what nonsensical thing God may be asking you to do through this series, but I wonder if his yes may not be wrapped up in yours. Go see the priest. Take that step. Do the thing that doesn't make sense in our cultural way of thinking. And these guys just happen to be willing to trust Jesus with the nonsensical. And wouldn't you know it, they see the unthinkable.
which is our longing as a church. We long to see God do big things. And in this story, these guys do. On the other side of saying yes to the nonsensical. Did you catch that in verse 14? Look at the second part. It says, and as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were healed. As they obeyed, their skin cleared up. As they walked towards the priest, their limbs started to reappear. That had to have been the most trippy trip they had ever taken. As they went, their dreams found life again. As they forgave, they started to experience restoration. As they gave, they started to see the portals of heaven open up. Dare me, God says, and see if I will not show up in the book of Malachi. As Abraham went, God showed him where to go next. As he raised the dagger, the provision was made. As Elijah stood before the most dangerous king, God shut the heavens and the rains stopped. We want to see the unthinkable, and God is inviting us to it as we do the nonsensical. I don't know what you are still waiting for. Because I know we often wait for the outcome before the obedience. What of God's super mega epic might you be holding hostage because you won't start? You won't go and see the priest. You won't move in the direction he's calling you to move into. He wants to do the unthinkable. So let's stop procrastinating, over-calculating, being, as we like to say, I'm just being practical. When he calls you to do something, practicality is just disobedience. So these guys ask the impossible. They do the nonsensical. They see the unthinkable. And that's what we want to see God do in our church. And I, I, many of you are starting to see it and share uh, stories. And some of us are on the verge, seeing a cloud form in the sky. As God shows up. And finally, I I think we see what I believe God wants us to end our series with and end our service with and end our season here with. And that is that he wants us to be the atypical. To be the atypical. Look at how this story ends. And that word will make sense. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. uh, And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? I know what I did. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner, the person who culture would least expect to be pious. He's the only one who came back. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This teaches us a principle that we do not want to be guilty of. And the principle is that praise is so often atypical. Ten people see God move and only one thinks to come back to praise him. 
We ask him to do the super mega epic and God shows up in these powerful ways and we just keep on moving, not even thinking that we ought to come back to him and give him the praise that is due his name. And we want to be the church that is atypical. We want to be the church that is the one that is constantly coming back and saying, we thank you. We praise you for the ways you're moving, maybe not just in this season, but the ways you continue to move in our future. Let's not be the nine church. Let's be the one who atypically comes back and says to him, thank you for what you've done. And I don't know what it means when Jesus says to this guy, hey, your faith has made you well. But I, I wonder if the others were cleansed of their leprosy, but there was so much more that Jesus had for them. That was locked up in their willingness to praise him for what he had done for them. Because this guy got to be made well. I don't know what that means, but my guess is the quality of life these two experienced may not have been the same. The only appropriate conclusion to a prayer answered is a praise given. The only appropriate conclusion to a super mega epic series in which we're asking God to move is a super mega epic praise in which we're thanking God for the ways he's already moving. And so even as we wrap up this series and as we wrap up this season, we want as a church to be the one who comes back to the feet of Jesus and says, thank you. We praise you for the ways in which you are moving. Let's be that church. So we want to take some time here in a moment to actually do that, to give you the opportunity to praise God for what he's done, what he's been doing, ways he's been moving in your world um, recently. And uh, here's the trick to that, because some of us haven't yet fully seen the answers that we've been praying for. And um, I'm not suggesting we give him our ideal praise. I am suggesting we give him our best praise. I love the story of the widow's might. It's not that she gave him an impressive amount, but she gave him the best she had. So you may not have the answer that you're waiting for yet, but you can still praise him for something he's done. He may not have done the thing, but I know, church, he has done something. And whatever he's done, he deserves to be praised for. And so we want to take some time, and I, I, I know it, it may not be what you hoped. I know I can't sit here and say, our kids are spiritual warriors, but I owe God praise because I'm watching my son more spiritually curious and sensitive and inquisitive than he has ever been. Even as we did a prayer op last month. Our kids will not let us go through the day without, what are we praying for? We need to pray about this. We need to pray about that. My daughter will tell us stories about, anyway, I was talking to Jesus about this, and he said to me, I'm like, wait a minute, you talk like you have a relationship, like it's just a thing. So I may not be declaring they're warriors, but I'm seeing the ways in which God is inching them towards that place, and I want to praise him for that. We've been praying for an extended family's marriage. I don't know what the situation is with that, but here's what I do know. It has rejuvenated my partnership in prayer with my wife. And I want to praise him for that. So it may not be the thing, but there is something 
that we can come back and say, I praise you because you have whatever it is. And so we want to open up some room, some space. I love that he was loud and he was obnoxious uh, in his praise for Jesus. I think we as a church are a little bit too, still a little too tame and, and conservative. But hey, that's on my prayer list. So watch out um, for what might happen to you. I've, I have no control over it. That's, I just ask the impossible. So um, we, we want to take some time to just ask um, you as a church family, are you willing to just share a praise? And here's a, um, a hashtag that we are, we are using. Um, I praise him because he, and just finish the sentence. And what this means is we're not asking you to tell the story and we may miss some of the context. We're just asking you to, to finish the sentence, a couple of sentences. I know that's hard. I know it's hard for me. Um, but I praise him because he, what is it? What's the thing you want to praise him for the most? And why don't we end our series by giving him a super mega epic praise for the things that he's doing and the things that he has done. So we're going to have the ushers um, come through with some microphones, I, I hope. Um, and uh, man, if you want to just share uh, the completion of this sentence, and if you want to grab your phone right now, no one will be bothered by it. You use this hashtag and you finish the sentence somewhere in your social media outlets, and the rest of us get to search this hashtag and praise God with you. So even if you don't get to share publicly, you can still share uh, publicly. So, I praise because he what? How do you want to finish that sentence? Let's take some time as the band um, heads back out to set up. of things yet to come. We praise you. Thank you so much for the privilege of standing in your presence and returning the praise that is due your great name. May we be the atypical church that never ceases praising you. Even as we sang, may your glory go on and on and may your praise go on and on and may we be the culprits who continue to praise you on and on and on because you and you alone deserve it. So Lord, today in this place, next week in a new place, when we walk out of this building, may your praise be on our lips. You are so worthy and we worship you Thank you, thank you, 
thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give him a praise? Can we give him a shout?